0: We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Now I want to bring you a message today, a continuation of the uh, exposition I began last Sunday in Acts 2. A lot of confusion in our day as to the uh, gift of tongues. And uh, I don't want you to be confused. I want you to believe the Bible and take the Bible for face value. I don't want you to hear the testimony and the philosophy of men. I don't want you to follow the experience of men. I want you to take the Bible for its face value. Now last Sunday, I tried to expound the first four verses in Acts chapter number two. May I read them to you again? And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, 120, Were all with one accord in one place And suddenly there came a sound from heaven As a rushing mighty wind And this sound filled all the house Where they were sitting And there appeared unto them cloven tongues Double tongues The word cloven means double tongues Uh, Up until this particular moment All these disciples were single tongues I'm single-tongued, and so are you. But uh, there are some people who are double-tongued. I mean, in in the sense that they can speak more than one language. They appeared unto them double-tongues, and the cloven tongues is a suggestion that another language is about to be given to these disciples, and they shall speak that language they have not learned previously fluently. And they appeared unto them cloven tongues, double-tongues, Like as a fire It was not fire But like as a fire And uh, these tongues sat upon each of them These tongues sat upon each of the disciples And the 120 in the upper room And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost And began to speak with other tongues As the Spirit gave them utterance Note As the Spirit gave them utterance They didn't learn to speak another tongue out of a book. They didn't learn to speak another tongue uh, from the instructions of another preacher. I was told the other day that one person said, I can teach you to speak in tongues. And they began to go through their ritual and their little seminar as to how to teach people to speak in tongues. I don't put any stock in that. And I think you're very naive to follow that kind of a thing. It very clearly says in verse four, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave these utterance, gave them the ability to speak with tongues. They were all filled with the Spirit of God and began to speak with other tongues, not as human men instructed or guided, but rather as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now this is a miracle and there's no doubt in my mind, but it transpired exactly as described in these first four verses. If I tried to take from the miraculous of Pentecost, I'd do a foolish saying and an unscriptural thing, a great miracle. This is what God had been planning for many, many years. The Feast of Pentecost was set up, as I pointed out last Sunday, in the law of Moses, 1,400 years prior to Acts chapter number two. This particular feast day was celebrated on the 50th day following the resurrection. The resurrection took place on the 17th day of the first month uh, with the feast of the first fruits. And then counting forward from the 17th day of the first month, seven weeks. That's 49 days. Seven times seven is 49. And then they, the day following, the seventh week, uh, is the day of Pentecost, which will make the 50th day. The name Pentecost means 50. Doesn't mean more, doesn't mean less, it means 50 and only means 50, 50 days. And for 1,400 years uh, since Moses, these Jews had celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. They also celebrated the Feast of the Passover on the 14th day, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days beginning on the 14th day, and the Feast of the first fruits on the 17th day, as well as the Feast of Pentecost on the 50th day following. And then over in the month of October, they also celebrated the feast of the of the trumpets and then a little later the feast they celebrated the feast of atonement and then they celebrated seventh the feast of the tabernacle so in the old testament economy you not only have pentecost but you have seven great uh, religious festivals that were ordained of God and for 1400 years Jews celebrated all seven of them with equal importance Now, to you and I, I think the Feast of the Passover, which signifies the death of the Savior, would be the most significant. But the Jews celebrated all seven of these feast days. And on this particular Pentecost, uh, an unusual thing happened that had never happened before and has never happened since and will never happen again. And the thing that happened on this particular Pentecost was that the Holy Spirit in the dispensation of the fullness of time came to indwell the bodies of the born-again believers. Now, there's no need for a second Pentecost because the Holy Ghost came to do and did what he was ordained to do at that Pentecost. There cannot be another Pentecost in the sense of Acts 2 anymore than there can be another feast of the Passover in the sense of Matthew 27. There cannot be another Pentecost anymore than there can be another Calvary Christ died once for all in the dispensation of the fullness of time. He'll never die another time. The Holy Spirit came on schedule one time for all to indwell the bodies of the born again and to tabernacle with the church and to commence his ministry of calling the church, forming the church. And when the body of the church is completed, then the same Holy Ghost will lift the church out of the grave or out of the earth, as the case may be, to present the bride to the waiting bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Holy Ghost came, to call a bride for his name's sake. And it was God's economy uh, to choose that the Holy Ghost dwell within the bodies of the born again, rather than in buildings made with hands. The Holy Ghost didn't take up his abode in the temple. The temple at Acts 2 was still standing. It had not yet been destroyed. But the Holy Ghost didn't go to the temple to abide. The Holy Ghost abode in the born again, in the bodies of the born again, from Pentecost right down to this day. Now in a moment, we'll dismiss this congregation and we'll all go home. And when we all leave, the Holy Ghost, in a real sense, leaves this building. This is God's house, but not in the sense the Holy Ghost dwells here. The Holy Ghost dwells in this building only when you and I are congregated within the walls of this auditorium. When I leave this building, the Holy Ghost leaves with me. I'm so glad that's so. Wouldn't it be an awful thing to have to face tomorrow with the Holy Ghost in this building and me out here in the streets? Or me trying to preach somewhere? Or me facing danger? That would be an awful thing to have to have the Holy Ghost cooped up in this building when I need him on the outside. That isn't God's way. God dwells in my body all the time and in your body all the time since you've been born again, not in buildings made with hands. So the Holy Ghost came and and, uh, took up his abode in the bodies of these at Pentecost. Now what happened upon this great phenomena, this great miracle, what took place? Verse five. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews Devout men out of every nation under heaven in that day. Now, these Jews were temporary residents of Jerusalem. Now, there were many Jews, no doubt, living permanently in Jerusalem. I, I, think, I think the disciples at this particular point lived permanently in Jerusalem. You know, the Lord spent most of his uh, earthly sojourn in Capernaum of Galilee. But toward the close of his three and a half years of ministry, he said to his disciples, we must go to Jerusalem. We're going to have to move to Jerusalem. And all the disciples followed the Lord from Capernaum to Jerusalem. And uh, evidently all the disciples lived at Jerusalem. And there were many other uh, believers who lived at Jerusalem. But these that the uh, text talks about in verse 5 were Jews that had come into the city for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. They did not live permanently in Jerusalem. They lived only during the time they were there to celebrate this religious festival. They'd come to Jerusalem at this Pentecost exactly as they had come a year prior to that and then a year prior to that for 1,000 years ever since Jerusalem was founded by David. They had been assembling together for the Feast of Pentecost. And so they were there for that particular purpose. I imagine all the hotels were filled if they had hotels in that day. They at least had some kind of hotels when the Lord was born because the Bible says there was no room for them in the inn. But all the inns were filled. All the hotels were filled. Everybody that had an extra room in Jerusalem, I imagine, had one of these Jews as a house guest. And they, were, they congregated from every nation, all the tribes in all the areas around about, from up in Phoenicia, from over in Egypt, from up in Greece, from over in Macedonia, from Cyprus. All that area, they'd come for miles for the annual feast of Pentecost. And the whole city was bursting at the seams, so to speak, with so many extra residents. Now they were dwelling at Jerusalem because of the Feast of Pentecost. Now we're told that these men dwelling in Jerusalem for this great religious conclave were devout men. Now I take that to be literal. I mean by that that they were devout Jews. I don't mean that they were devout Christians. And if you make that read Christians then you'll foul things up. They were not believers in the Lord Jesus, but they were devout in their Jewish orthodoxy. That's why they were there. Had they not been devout men, they would have not gone to the trouble to travel the miles and crowd into Jerusalem and live in a second-rate hotel, maybe, for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. They just would not have gone to the trouble had they not been, in the true sense of the word, devout men, orthodox men, faithful Jews they were, to all the Jews' religion and all the law of Moses. Now these devout men had gathered in from all the area around about. Now, when this was noised abroad, what was noised abroad? Well, what had happened in the upper room? 120 Christians, born again, Jews they were, but they were born again Jews, saved in God's grace, had been tarrying ten days, isolated and alone and separated from the multitudes that milled about the streets of Jerusalem. Well, when this great miracle took place and the Holy Ghost came in great power and they began to speak with other tongues, naturally this was noised abroad. It didn't take long for it to get out into the streets. You couldn't keep a miracle like Pentecost hidden to save your life. You're not going to keep any revival genuine hidden. If it's a genuine revival, it'll break out on you. And it'll be noise abroad. People will tell that you've had revival and people will find it out. And seeing revival and knowing about revival, they'll come to see you burn to God's glory. People want revival. That's natural and that's normal that they came, devout men, upon hearing about this great miracle. Now it was noised abroad throughout all that city of Jerusalem what had taken place in the upper room. And as a result of this news, multitudes came together. Multitudes of these Jews, devout Jews. Who were in jerusalem for the feast of pentecost they came together and they saw this great miracle these galilean disciples of our lord who by this time had become quite famous their names and their faces were recognized no doubt by many of these devout jews they saw these men and they heard these men speaking the wonderful works of god in a language They did not naturally know. Now that's what verse number 6 says. The multitude came together and they were confounded. Why? Because every one of these devout Jews heard them, the disciples, the Galilean disciples, speak. The wonderful works of God is called in their own language. Now let's get this settled right now. The idea of a jabbering tongue that nobody understands that has no meaning and people don't even bother to try to give the interpretation because there is no interpretation is an unscriptural thing as much as anything I've ever heard of in my life. There's one thing that Pentecostal people will be compelled to agree with we Baptists whether they want to or not that the tongues at Pentecost were the languages of these devout Jews. That's as clear as anything in the world can be. Now you make it some kind of an unknown jabbering of some kind of a, a tongue of ecstasy, you destroy the Bible. You pervert the Bible when you do that. And you deny verse number six when you do that. These devout Jews are nobody's fools. Why, these men were intelligent men. They were wise men. No doubt they were seasoned with age and experience. And when they saw these Galilean unlearned, unlettered Galilean fishermen disciples speaking, and when they heard them speak in a language they had never learned, they knew that they had never learned that tongue. It's no small wonder that they were confounded it's no small wonder that they were amazed now this doesn't take from the miraculous one bit to me it's a far greater miracle to believe that the disciples spoke at pentecost in other languages it's a greater miracle to believe that than it is to believe that they spoke in some kind of an unknown tongue that nobody can understand if god gave to these disciples the ability speak a language they had never studied or never learned brother that's a miracle sure enough and that's what I believe that's what we believe that's what the Bible teaches and so they were confounded and the thing that amazed these devout Jews was the fact that every one of them heard the wonderful works of God declared in their own language verse 7 and they were all amazed And they marveled at what they saw and what they heard. And in their amazement, they said, Behold, look, all of these which speak are Galileans. There's not a college professor in the crowd. There's not a high priest in the crowd. There's not an educated man in the crowd. There's not a wealthy man in the crowd. There's not a genius in the crowd. They said all these that speak in these languages are Galilean disciples of Jesus Christ. Galilean fishermen is what they're saying. Now that was not necessarily a compliment. But the fact that these humble men, unlettered and unlearned as far as the world is concerned, could speak a language they had never learned and speak it miraculously amazed these devout Jews, and they marveled at this great miracle that they now heard and they saw. You say, well, Brother Harold, do you believe that it happened that way? I certainly do. Sure, I believe it happened that way. Now they said, how hear we every man in his own tongue wherein he was born? They didn't understand. They couldn't understand it. Never had a Pentecost ever produced anything like this. Most of these devout men, I, I would imagine, had been in Jerusalem one year prior to that. And they'd gone through an ordinary Feast of Pentecost, nothing unusual had taken place. And when they came to Jerusalem for this annual Feast of Pentecost, they were expecting the same kind of an annual celebration. But in the height of that celebration, this great miracle of tongues became a reality and these devout Jews got the shake and the jolt of their life. A miracle God gave these Galilean disciples the ability to speak in tongues that they had never learned. Now verse 9, 10, and 11. Look at it in your Bible. You have a King James Bible. I'm preaching out of a King James Bible. Don't bring me any other, please. Verses 9, 10, and 11 tells me clearly... Names for me, spells out for me The languages spoken by the Galilean disciples of our Lord at Pentecost Now look at it in verse 9 Parthenians, Medes, Alamekites The dwellers in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia In Pontus, in Asia, Phagara, Pamphylia In Egypt, in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene Strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them, the Galilean disciples, speak in our tongues, Nine, ten, and 11, the wonderful works of God. Now how in the world can people get a jabbering out of that, an unknown tongue out of that? I can't figure that out. The tongues at Pentecost clearly scripturally were the languages of these devout Jews who had gathered from all the nations round about for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. Now you make this an unknown tongue of ecstasy, a jabbering sort of heavenly tongue, you're going to twist the scriptures and wrestle the scriptures and deny the scriptures when you do. Now I charge any man that will make this an ecstasy jabbering. A heavenly tongue they sometimes call it. I charge them with perverting the Bible. Right. I charge them with heresy. Now if that's reason make the most of it. Amen. And I get all kind of letters of criticism. Every time I preach on Acts 2 I'm bombarded. And brother Melvin sometimes reads my mail. And he knows what I'm saying to so Saul. I'm bombarded with the most sarcastic and insulting letters you ever heard in your life. Now as far as I'm concerned you can just keep your letters I'm not talking to you I'm talking to the radio Just keep your letters No need to write to me I'm nearly 60 years old I've been preaching the Baptist doctrine for a long time And you're not going to change me And I'm reading out of a King James Bible And that's good enough for me you watch channel 16 and listen to some of these fellows on the radio you've got to get your heavenly jabbering nobody knows what you're saying they don't know what you're saying yourself that's not in Acts 2 I say that's not in Acts chapter number 2 nowhere and we need to face up to that and I resent what goes out over the radio and over the TV I resent all this uh, uh, charismatic propaganda I resent these that tell you that uh, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got to speak in another tongue that nobody can understand. I resent that. That's unscriptural. It's not true to the Bible. And I'd be a traitor to Tabernacle Baptist Church and traitor to my call if I did not preach the whole counsel of God as I see it. All right. Now verse 12. And they were all amazed. They were in doubt. Now you can well understand why they were amazed. And you can also understand why some of them were in doubt. And they said among each other. What meaneth this? What in the world is this all about? What meaneth this? And others of these devout Jews mocked. And they said these men are full of wine. In other words. These men are drunk. But Peter. Verse 14. But Peter. Is now about ready to redeem himself. Peter's about ready to vindicate his ugly conduct in the house of Caiaphas. Uh, Peter's just about ready to vindicate and clear himself of that denying that he was guilty of when he denied the Lord. And the Holy Spirit of God just come on the apostle Peter like Peter had never had the power of God in his lifetime. And old Peter stood up with a holy boldness he had never possessed since God called him to follow Jesus and preached a sermon that really shook that whole city of Jerusalem. But Peter, the same cussing Peter that I read about in Matthew 27, he went out and wept bitterly and God forgave him of his sin and then God filled him with the blessed Holy Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2 and he stood up and preached. Same Peter. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost, be this known unto you and hearken unto me. These men are not drunken on wine as you think, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Men don't get drunk on wine at nine o'clock in the morning. And evidently the power of God's spirit must have come along about that time, we don't know for sure, but uh, these devout Jews thought they were all drunk about nine o'clock in the morning. Peter said, these men are not drunk, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then Peter reaches back to the third chapter of the prophecy of Joel and lifts out a text of scripture that is tremendous. And then beginning with verse number 22, he reaches back into the Psalms, And lifts out another text of scripture that is tremendous. And then he begins to preach a sermon. And believe me, he brought a tremendous message on that day. And when he finished preaching, they were pricked in their heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And 3,000 of them got born again and saved by the power of God on that day of Pentecost. Let me look at the prophecy of Joel for a moment with you. Verse 17. Here's what Joel had said. Joel lived. Joel the prophet lived uh, back about the time of Daniel, about 600 years before Christ. And, and God inspired Joel to get a vision of this great feast of Pentecost that is now taking place in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Joel no doubt celebrated many feasts of Pentecost himself. He being a devout Jew, Along with Daniel and Isaiah and the others. All of them are familiar with the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost is set up in the law of Moses. And that makes it a lot older than Joel or Isaiah or Daniel. And so the Feast of Pentecost is nothing surprising uh, and strange to Joel the prophet. He was quite familiar. But he said that God gave to Joel an insight in an unusual Feast of Pentecost. And had you asked Joel the prophet when he lived 600 years before Christ, you might have said, Joel, uh, turn back if you want uh, to chapter number three of Joel's prophecy. And you'd have said, Joel, uh, when will this great feast of Pentecost that you're about to talk about take place? he would say, well, I just don't know for sure. But down the road somewhere, an unusual feast of Pentecost is going to take place. And I've been coming to the feast of Pentecost, said Joel, since I was a little boy. And I'm an old man now and I've been coming to this feast of Pentecost but one of these days the most unusual feast of Pentecost we ever heard of is going to take place. And here's what he said about it. It shall come to pass in the last days. Now that's the last days of the church. That is the, uh, the church age from uh, where Jesus established church down till this day is called the last days. It doesn't mean the second coming of our Lord. The last days in that verse doesn't mean it shall come to pass at the time of the rapture. But it means that it shall come to pass in the time of the birth of the church. In the last days God shall say I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now God had never done that before. Now God had anointed some uh, when Moses served. You remember how Jethro said Moses you're going to die. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and I hate to see you uh, leave my daughter, and you're going to die. You carry the load of uh, these uh, Israelites upon your shoulder, and it's going to kill you. You need some help. And Jethro said, I'd recommend you get some help." Moses didn't like the idea, but the more he thought about it, the more he saw the wisdom of Jethro. And Moses picked out 70 elders out of the camp of Israel who had never had the power of God's spirit upon them. Now Moses had the power of God's Spirit on him, but these 70 elders didn't. So here's something brand new. In the old economy, God from time to time anointed some with the Spirit. But in the last days, the church age, it shall come to pass that God will pour out of his Spirit upon all flesh and indwell every born-again believer. Now brethren, You and I live in a different economy than the days of Moses. If you are saved and born again, I'm speaking to a congregation of people who have the Holy Spirit abiding within your body. Now, if Moses had preached in his day to a congregation as large as this one right now, he couldn't say that about the best Moses could have said is that I've got 70 elders that know the anointing of God's Spirit. That's about the limit. Maybe a few others, but maybe 70. But I'm saying that every born-again person in this building, children and adults, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, we live in a different economy. That was not so in the old economy, but it is so in this economy, and that's what Joel is talking about. Joel said to those Jews around him, 600 years, 700 years before Christ was born, he said, Brethren, the time will come when God's going to change his method and pour his spirit upon all flesh. And every born-again person, old Joel said, will have the Holy Ghost in him. And old Joel might have scratched his gray head and said, I won't live to see it, but it's going to come, boys. It's going to come. And he wrote the record of it in chapter number three of Joel's prophecy. And old Peter had studied that half his lifetime. And when it finally came, Peter said, this is it. This is it. Joel said it was coming. It's come. Amen. And evidently, Peter's conclusion is correct because brother Luke wrote it down and brother Luke was inspired by the Holy Ghost of God. What he wrote, and so I take it that Peter knew what he was talking about, this is that, that Joel said would happen. And brother, it happened. And it happened at Pentecost. And since that day God has been pouring out of his spirit upon all born again people, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That means they shall be satisfied with the Lord and shout the praises of god and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the lord the time's going to come old joel is saying when people get fanatical about jesus hallelujah that's what he's saying your men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions And your sons and daughters are prophesying. They're going to shout and praise God. That's what he said. And when it happened, Joel said, this is that. And I want to say in 1974, this is that. Amen. Amen. And Joel's prophecy was fulfilled at Pentecost. And Joel's prophecy is being fulfilled right now, right here in this auditorium. Amen. Amen. <laughs> the sons and daughters are prophesying, and the young men are seeing visions, and we old ones are dreaming dreams. Amen. And all oh, my servants are my handmaidens, I'll even pour out of my spirit upon them as well. That could be a suggestion of the Gentile bride. My servants. We Gentile dogs don't amount to much, but God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on my servants. And I'll pour out my spirit on my handmaidens. So God said I'm going to save a Gentile bride and I'm going to pour that spirit upon the Gentile bride just like I'm going to pour the spirit upon the young men and the old men. Hallelujah. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they also, we Gentile dogs, servants, and handmaidens shall prophesy. And that's what we're doing now. I'm prophesying until I can hardly stand it. It's wonderful. It's real. This is that. Handmaidens and servants have the spirit of God poured out upon them as well as Jews, you see. And they shall prophesy. Now that happened. At Pentecost, and it's been happening ever since. And it's happening right now, right now, right now it's happening. Now verse 19 and verse 20 has not yet happened. There is no record that at the day of Pentecost there was wonders in heavens above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. There is no evidence that at Pentecost in Acts 2, That the sun was turned into darkness and that the moon was turned to blood. Those things did not happen in Acts 2. Now 17, 18 uh, found fulfillment and is now being fulfilled. But 19 and 20 is yet to be fulfilled. And verses 19 and 20 projects themselves down to the end of the last days. The last days started with the great Pentecost experience of the power of God coming upon believers and indwelling the bodies of believers. The last days closes with the tribulation in which 19 and 20 will find glorious fulfillment. Now these things described in 19 and 20 shall come to pass before the great and notable day of the Lord shall come. And it shall come to pass that in that day, the last days, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Jew or Gentile servants or handmaidens sons or men young or men old whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord this characterizes the entire last days whosoever will Jew or Gentile Jew or servants or handmaidens come on and take the word of life freely now that characterizes the age of the church now, I won't go any further. Time's gone. I would love to preach on verses 22 and following. I, I brought a message from these verses at Highland Park Baptist Church a few years ago, and, and God moved on the scene, and we had something what we had just a moment ago, except a lot more of it in that great church in Chattanooga. I wish I could repeat that and just get a duplicate order and reproduce it at Tabernacle. But I can't do that, but I might try to preach on it anyway, and God can't tell what the Lord might do. So when Dr. Parker's going, I might pick it up again to verse 22, and maybe the Lord will give us a great blessing from that. Pentecost is real. No doubt about it. The gift of tongues, languages at Pentecost is real. The idea of an unknown tongue that you hear about nowadays is not real, nor practical, nor scriptural. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.